Well, come on in, come on in, grab your seats. Um, if you got my email today that I sent out, I said we're having church and I'll be preaching through Zephaniah, I meant Zechariah. So uh, I know what I'm doing here, but forgive me. Uh, it was, uh, I had a preacher brain on Friday. So anyway, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Zechariah. It is the second to last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, you go left, you got Malachi, and then you end up at Zechariah. And Zechariah is a longer book in, in uh, the, the Minor Prophets. It's 14 chapters. So what I'm going to do is read to you a couple sections out of the top of the book and talk you through it. And hopefully by the end we'll get a sense of what the Spirit of the Lord wants us to hear out of the book of Zechariah. So hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Zechariah, it says, Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem? So right here at the top, you need to see that Jerusalem is in distress. And the angel is crying out, Lord Almighty, how long? Like, are you going to pay attention to Jerusalem? And are you going to pay attention to the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far. So these nations punished the people of God who were being judged because of their waywardness, but God says they went way too far and I'm angry with those nations that took it out on my people. So I'm angry with them because of the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. There it is again. And there my house will be rebuilt and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. He goes on to say, proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Now look at chapter two, verses 10 through 13. So shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and they will become my people and I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. We just see it again and again. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight simply. We come to you like little children jumping up on mom's lap or on dad's lap. Just, we, we, we need you. We long to be with you. There's so many things that are confusing us and vexing us in these days. There's so many question marks about the present and about the future. And Lord, I pray tonight that those would be silenced. That you would press pause on everything that has us tangled up on the inside and that you would speak to us words of mercy, words of comfort, Words of affirmation, words of love, words of direction. So we say, come Holy Spirit and have your way. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, 
Amen. Have you ever had your expectations wildly unmet? <laughs> like wildly unmet. Two years ago, Lisa and I had the trip of a lifetime with our kids. It was every seven years, uh, staff members at New Life get a sabbatical. So we got six weeks and we were so excited and the kids were at this magical age. Lily and I think had just turned 12 and Wilson would have been 10 and Wakely was seven so we could travel. And so we'd saved up for years and airline miles and we bought five tickets and we flew to London. We were so excited. We had friends over there that had a place to stay, but we needed to get like three days in a VRBO before we could catch up with them. And so we booked this VRBO in London. We didn't know where we were. uh, So we were trying our best. We were looking at the maps, but it didn't mean a whole lot to us. And we were reading reviews and so far there were good reviews on this place. And it was a cheap date. I discovered why. It was a cheap date. Usually you get what you pay for. (laughs) But we got this cheap date and we were, you know, shoestring budget, just trying to make it work. And we would do peanut butter and jellies for two meals during the day and then eat one meal out in the evening. So we go to this place and we we pull up to to this place in London and like, oh, shoot. (laughs) Um, This is rough. And Um, are the kids safe and I think we're going to be fine so we check into the place this little bitty it was an apartment building and it just kept kind of getting scarier and scarier (laughs) as we went and it looked like an old kind of Chernobyl situation Um, this you know cinder block building that we just scary and so, but we finally got everyone in it we can do anything for three days we're telling ourselves and so we, we check into this place and that night, we finally get the kids to bed and we're turning on like little bitty, we go to the store and buy these little bitty fans because it's hot as Hades and there's no AC. And, and we needed them, it was loud in this place and we needed them to sleep. So we got these fans going and they finally fall asleep. And about 9.30, we discovered that the neighbors are big time alcoholics. And they start screaming this man at this woman. They're screaming bloody murder. They're drunk as they're just drunk. And all of a sudden we, Lisa and I literally thought we were going to witness a murder that night because he was, he was screaming at her and they were coming out in front of our door. And I'm looking through the little people going, Oh, Jesus Christ, have mercy. You know, and we're barricading furniture behind the door. And on it, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating one bit. We thought it was going down that night. And it looks so good, the pictures. We went back and looked at the pictures. We're like, this place looks amazing. This is not the same place. We made it and we, I think we checked out the next day, just like, we, I, we've gotta live, you know, we've gotta live, so. Have you ever had your expectations wildly unmet? Well, welcome to how the people of God felt when the temple was finally rebuilt. Solomon's temple, let's call it 960 BC. So these people are 520 BC. So 430 years later, 440 years later, I'm not that great with numbers, but 440 years later, Solomon's temple was, I cannot explain to you how important it would have been for the ancient people of God and their dedication ceremonies and all the sacrifices and all the worship and the trumpets and the oil and the dancers and the singers and the tambourines. And uh, it was just majestic. 960 BC, it had been torn down by the Assyrians. The Babylonians jacked it up. And now they're in, the Persians have just let them go free. And they're going back to Jerusalem in 520. And they worked to try to put it back together. But it just was horrendous. It 
was bad. And they'd heard all the stories from their ancient grandparents and it had been written down in the ancient text, the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of the temple, but here they are and they just cleaned up the floors after their big, uh, after their big projects, they'd swept it clean and taken out the trash and finally it's this like dedication ceremony, but can you imagine the cognitive dissonance that these people experienced when they, they remember what it used to be like and they'd heard all the stories about what it used to be like and here we are, expectations wildly unmet. You could see their hearts sinking. You could see their disappointment. They quickly realized that the temple pales in comparison to what Solomon had done. And the context of Zechariah, what I want you to see here is that the people who'd been promised the promised land were now worshiping in the low rent district. I will bless you and make you a blessing, Abraham and Sarah, and through your offspring and go to a land I will show you and every place you set your foot, it will be yours and I'll bless you coming in and I'll bless you going out. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. You'll be blessed in the basket and blessed in the storehouses. All of your crops, all of that was in their psyche. It was in their souls. And then they look up at this thing that had been decimated and destroyed and it was, it was bad. The context is the people that had been given, promised the promised land were in the low rent district. And at this point, God asks them a question and through the prophet Haggai and Haggai and Zechariah are like cousins here in the text. They're written at the same time and they're talking about the same situation. So Haggai, God asks them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Everyone say former glory. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? God's talking to them. God addresses their ache. God names the question. God just puts all the truth on the table. God is not afraid of talking shop. Have you ever been in that position in your, in your life where felt like the life that you once knew, the life that was flourishing and rich, the life that was the land flowing with milk and honey and every place I set my foot, it just seems to be working and everything I'm touching turns to gold. Have you ever had kind of one of those moments where it just seemed like you couldn't miss if you tried? It's like Michael Jordan hitting the jumper when he's got the flu and he runs back down the court going like, I just can't miss, you know? Have you ever had one of those seasons where you couldn't miss? And then you find yourself looking at the temple that has been rebuilt. And it's really disappointing. Expectations are wildly unmet. You, do you remember when we, we didn't have to worship like this? Remember when we didn't have to be self-conscious about hugging people? Remember when we used to be able to shake hands and not have to like, you know, what's the password? New England clam chowder. Okay, you can shake my hand. Like, <laughs> do you remember when we used to be able to live a little more unselfconsciously and when kids could go to school and they didn't get sent home at the drop of a hat and you know, everyone's kind of afraid and looking over the shoulder. Do you remember when we did, did you ever have one of those seasons, a golden age of glory that you can just look back to where it felt like it just was all lined out and working together? Remember when maybe some of you, were, you grew up in the Jesus movement of the 70s and that's just holy ground for you and, and you look at the American church today and you just go, God almighty, look at this temple that's been rebuilt. Maybe you've had another season of life where the wind was at your back and it just was all working and you, you, you're trapped in this moment that just feels like 
shambles. The golden age of glory has come to nothing. I'll just say that the book of Zechariah is an invitation to bring our disappointments into the presence of God. To bring our disappointments into the presence of God. I'll say this though, that the book of Zechariah is an invitation to surrender our expectations of what the golden age of glory has to look like. Surrender our expectations. God is okay with us telling the truth to just name the lament that, you know what, it doesn't feel like this is beautiful. This is what a temple rebuilt looks like. God, it's just, I miss it. I miss that season. I, I long for the days of old. God is okay with us saying that. And at the same time, Zechariah is an invitation to surrender our expectations of what the golden age of glory has to look like. Earlier, Last year, I wrote a book called Chasing Wisdom, and I released it, and, and it's, it's a book that tells the story of me meeting Eugene Peterson in a time where New Life Church was in shambles. We had, we had had days of former glory, and the bottom had fallen out, and we'd lost our senior pastor, and we had suffered violence on our campus, and we were $26.5 million in debt, and we'd fired 44 people overnight, and there was just decimation over here, and, and, and we were starting to rebuild it. We finally got a new senior pastor, Brady Boyd. Praise the Lord for sending him here from Texas, and we were starting to, but then 100 days in, a double murder-suicide happened on our campus, and we were just decimated. And we remember the days of former glory and here we are kind of standing in the rubble of what's going on and oh, the temple's been rebuilt. When is it ever gonna feel right again? When's it ever gonna, when are we ever gonna just like race to church again? When's it ever, have any of you ever been in those moments? Some of you walked those moments with us here at New Life Church. And in that time of standing amidst the rubble of our church, I found this guy called Eugene Peterson and I read one of his books and I wrote him a letter and it began a 10 year back and forth where he really mentored me, discipled me, challenged me, uh, rebuked me, encouraged me, grandfathered me in the faith and So I wrote this book, Chasing Wisdom, and some of you will know Eugene Peterson from translating the Message Bible. The Message Bible has uh, ended up selling 20 million copies and it's gone all over the world. And Bono stands up at rock concerts and reads out of the Psalms from the Message Translate. It's a big deal, but Eugene, as I got to know his story through the years, I made 10 trips to visit him, either to Montana or around the United States with him and got to know him really well. He grew up in a small town, Kalispell, Montana, and then from there went to Seattle Pacific University and he was crushing it. And then he went out to New York City after his undergrad to go get his advanced degrees in theology at one of the great seminaries in America, New York City. So the small town boy goes to the big city and everything he's touching prospers and he's the head of his class and he's starting to, he learns Hebrew and Greek you know, inside and out and as a, as a grad student, they hire him on faculty to teach the, the original languages because he's that good at it. That's how he translated the Bible. But Eugene went from, from his graduate studies and went and worked on his doctoral work and then from there, he was gonna go be a pastor. And he's 30 years old and he's got the best education in the world and everywhere he's gone, people have recognized him as this, this legend and oh, he's gonna go change the world. And he got called to plant a church in Bel Air, Maryland that was in this little bitty suburb and he said these people were so disinterested with God. They didn't care. 
He said, I didn't wanna live in the suburbs of this place. I'm a Montana boy, I'm a country boy, and here I am in the suburbs. And it's 200 people that, Eugene pastored two, three, 400 people for 30 years, and nobody knew his name until he was 65 years old. I say it took Eugene Peterson 65 years to become an overnight success. And so here he is, and, and, and he's, he's riding high on his education, and he's a world-class writer, and he's a world-class thinker, and he's, a, he's just crushing it. And then he gets called to serve in this little bitty tucked-away place that nobody is not on the map, and, and he wasn't being written about in Christianity today. And for 30 years, he just plugged away right, right step after right step. And Eugene tells a story. He said, I thought when I got out of seminary that I'd get installed at one of the great you know, churches in America, the preaching seat of the Presbyterian church, and I'd be writing and I'd be, you know, published all. And he said, you know, you know who the Lord gave me? He gave me drug, drug addicts to pastor. He gave me alcoholics to pastor. He gave, he said, he said, you know, my first small group that I led for about five years, it was a group of three elderly widows and they wanted me to teach them the Bible. And he said, so every week I'd sit with these three elderly widows in their 80s and I'd sit down and he said, before I would go, I would translate the passage that we were gonna study from the original languages and I'd write it out for them in a fresh language. This was the beginning of the message Bible with three elderly widows that nobody on the planet knew about, but Eugene gave his life to these women and he'd come in and he'd translate and they'd study it and they'd go, oh my goodness, we never thought, we never heard it that way, Eugene. He said, I was just sure that God was gonna make me significant, which meant put me on a big stage. But he said, you know, the way he made me significant was by tucking me away with people that nobody would ever know and calling me to serve them for 30 years. Eugene felt like, you know, I, I, I thought it was gonna be Solomon's temple, but actually this is the temple that God's called me to serve in. And the question is, when we come to that moment of realization, will we be faithful? I wanna say, it's so much of the, the glorious result of the Message Bible can be attributed to the inglorious conditions in which it was written. I think, I think that Bible has the juice on it. It's got the sauce. It's got the glory. It's got the stuff. Why did it go bonkers and sell 20 million copies? I think because a, a man just trusted God that in, in the conditions that aren't favorable, in the conditions that don't feel good, when it feels like my life will never matter and be significant, and when I come to the moment of realizing that my life isn't going to look like the former glory of what I hoped it would be, but I'm just, this is the temple that I'm working with. Eugene said yes, and then he said yes again. And then he said yes again. And then he said yes again. And then he showed up for that little bitty Bible study with those three elderly widows. And he just kept serving God in the situation he found himself in. And the glory that's on that translation, I think, can be directly, directly attributed to the inglorious conditions in which it was written. The former glory versus the future glory. This is what this is what Zechariah gives us to go back and forth with, to play with. It's a play on words. Okay, are you gonna try to force the former glory back into this moment? Are you gonna just pine for the days of old? Are you gonna sit and sulk and pout and, and wonder when it's gonna finally get good again? Or are you actually going to stand up in the life that you find yourself in and just trust God with it? The former glory versus the future glory. He starts now talking, he remembers Solomon's temple, we 950 BC, but then Zechariah starts talking about this, this future glory. 
this day when it'll all be made right, this day when the temple will be rebuilt by the Messiah himself, when God's glory would split the sky and he would come on that white horse and, and he'd make all things new. This is what Zechariah is putting in front of us. He's, he's stirring our imaginations with the former glory of the long lost temple, Solomon's temple. And Yahweh through this text is retraining our appetites for the glory that is eternal. He's saying, yeah, you think Solomon's temple's great? Just you wait. <laughs> like, okay, you can sit around and, and, and whine or pout or sulk for the, those days of old and just go, why isn't my life like, he goes, you know, Solomon's temple is gonna pale in comparison to what I'm bringing. Just wait for it. Trust me, I will make all things new. You think the past is great, just you wait until you see the future I've marked out for you. Haggai is a preacher and Zechariah is a preacher sent to stir our eschatological longing. You think Solomon's kingdom was glory, glorious, wait for the Messiah's kingdom. You think 400 years ago was excellent, wait for the new Jerusalem. Do you see what he's doing here? He's saying, yeah, you're stuck right here in the middle. You're stuck right here in this inglorious situation. You're stuck right here and you're, you're, you're tempted to spend all your time focusing on the past, the future glory, or the, the past glory. But he said, I want you to turn your appetites and retrain your vision toward the future glory, the, the, the kingdom that is crashing in on us even as we speak. You see, the book of Zechariah is an invitation to believe a future glory is coming that will far surpass the very best days of our former glory. Essentially, Zechariah says, B -b baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Zechariah 2, one through five, he says, then I looked up. He's got this apocalyptic vision. He's, he's, he's dreaming, God gives him a dream, a vision about the future that is coming. He's, then I looked up and there was before me a man with a measuring line in his hand. He's got a tape measure. This is a construction book. This is a book of reconstructing the temple. And currently the temple they have in front of them is really, it's wildly, uh, it's, it's unmet. Their expectations are unmet, it's, it's underwhelming. So here's this man, a construction man, an angel with a tape measure out. And he says, I see this angel. And I ask, where are you going? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. And while the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said, run and tell that young man, Jerusalem will be. Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Without walls? Like walls keep you safe. Why is it without walls? Because they're gonna be fine. In the future, they're gonna be fine. God's gonna take care of them. It'll be, a few, it'll be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be, I will be its glory within. I will be a, a wall of fire around these people. I will take care of them. There will, be, there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more Assyrians crashing in. There will be no more Babylonians crashing in. There will be no more Persians crashing in. There will be no more funeral homes. There will be no more hospitals. I will be their God and I will be the wall around them. They aren't gonna need to construct walls because they will be safe in my presence. He's talking about what is coming and Zechariah is getting us ready for the future glory that's on the way. And then this guy called John, St. John, who loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. John got exiled. Talk about an inglorious situation. 
The book of Revelation is written by John, who is a political prisoner out on an island called Patmos. And he had done nothing wrong, but his life had been wasted away and he'd been sent out to die by himself. And the angel comes to him and gives him a vision. And here he is looking at a temple that's been rebuilt. And surely he was remembering the the, the former glory of his life with Jesus. But here he is as a prisoner and the angel turns his attention, not from his situation and not from his previous life, but he turns his attention to God's great eschatology catalogical future that is crashing in on us. And look at the second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth. This, this, this thing that wildly disappoints us. This situation that we're living in that, that makes us cry and makes us groan and makes us ache and makes us wonder, God, when are you gonna make it right? He saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new, everyone say the new, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will, oh Lord, do it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning and there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain. Why? For the old order of things has passed away that great day of the Lord that is coming, that we're all crying out for, come Holy Spirit and Maranatha, come Lord Jesus and bring it on the earth as it is in heaven. And Zechariah tells us and John of Patmos tells us that this is what is coming. Brothers and sisters, you're sitting in the middle of the debris of the life that we find ourselves in. And very often the temptation is to look back. And tonight, Zechariah is saying, don't you dare spend your best energy pining for the days of old because the days of old will pale in comparison to the days that are coming. Look ahead and call on God to bring the new heavens and the new earth and say, come Lord Jesus and pray the Lord's prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Look ahead because a day is coming where there will be no more hospitals and no more, no more funerals and there will be no more sickness and there will be no more tears and there will be no more widows, small groups studying the Bible because there will be no more widows. It'll just be resurrection life and made all things new with the God of life. Brothers and sisters, look ahead. Focus your gaze on what is to come. So the question is, what is our call right now? We're sitting right here. We're looking at the temple that has been rebuilt and it is what it is right now. So what is our call right now? I wanna Say the fourth and final thing that the book of Zechariah is an invitation to hallow the name of God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Hallow the name of God right here and right now. Make this place holy ground right here, right now. Do the hard work of making space for God in the world. And I promise you, most of the time, it will not feel like much. You'll step back from it and it'll look like just a shell of the former glory that you knew. And it'll feel like you aren't making much of a difference. Maybe it feels to you like you're just changing diapers and you're taking kids into the carpool line and you're just slugging it out and you're picking up grocery orders from Walmart. And it's just monotony. It's day in and day out. And it doesn't feel like much, but don't look now. If you will hallow that 
background. If you will say, God, this is the space you've given me and this is the moment that you've planted me in, I'm just gonna try to fill it up with faithfulness here. I'm gonna try to fill it up with prayer here. I'm gonna try to fill it up with glory here. I'm just gonna trust that this is good enough for right now and watch what God will do. The call of this book is to hallow the name of God in the present circumstances we find ourselves in. I'll say it this way. Build the best little temple that you can muster. Build the best little temple that you can muster. Work with what you have. You don't have to become someone else to build the temple right in front of you. You don't have to have more money to build the temple right in front of you. You don't have to find new friends to build the temple right in front of you. You don't have to find new circumstances to build the temple right in front of you. Here you are, here I am. This is what we're working with and now we're just gonna hallow the name right here and right now. This morning, Lisa, it was 5.30 and Fridays were always up early. My, Lisa's just up early, but Fridays my, is game day. You know, I'm, my blood's racing and don't, 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 don't. So I'm like in bed at 5.30 and Lisa knows that my blood is already racing. And so she reaches over. We hadn't said anything yet. She reaches over, it's pitch black outside and she takes my hand and she says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We join in. At bedtime with the kids, it, it doesn't look like much. And it makes a world of difference. At bedtime with our kids, I, you've heard me tell the stories through the years. If you've been at bedtime, I'm so bad. I'm, 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 I've got nothing left. Lillian's here. I love you, Lillian. It's not you, it's me, I promise. <laughs> My goal is just to get out of there without blowing it up, you know? Like, I just don't, do no harm is my rule at bedtime. So just, brush your teeth! You know, like. But at bedtime, we have this routine and I'll lay my hands on their head and I'll pray, Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And I'm making the sign of the cross, forehead, chin, cheek, cheek, forehead, chin. I, while I'm praying, I'm just doing this the whole time. Lord, bless him and keep him, make your face shine upon him, be gracious to him. Lord, lift your countenance upon him, grant peace. And shut up, be quiet, don't get up. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I love you. And it doesn't look like much but I promise you it makes a world of difference. Will you hallow the ground that the Lord has given you? Will you make space? Will you take what God has given you and just say, I'm gonna do my best here and it doesn't look like that, the, the romantic past and we aren't, we aren't yet in the future that you've secured for us, but here we are and we pray, Lord, that this would be a temple for your glory, that this place right here would be a place where your life breaks out and that these bedrooms right here would be filled with the angels of God and that the song of the Lord would be here. Lord, hallowed be your name. Good night, don't you dare get up. <laughs> we go to the soccer pitch three times a week and basketball twice a week. And we, you know what we do when we go there? Before we get out of our cars, we look at each other and we'll go, keep your eyes open. We say, hallowed be thy name. There's gonna be people here on the sideline who don't know you, Lord. We pray that they would bump into you as they bump into us. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, I could sit here in my car and just be about me and look at my phone or I could just, but there's people out there and they aren't coming to church. Let's go get them. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom, brothers and sisters, 
Build a temple, build the best little temple that you can muster in the situation God has given you. It will not look like much. I'm giving you a warning. I told you in advance, you're gonna feel like it's insignificant. You're gonna feel like it doesn't matter. I rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. It does matter. Step into the situation and be as faithful as you can and watch what God will do. And I'll say it this way. Become a temple for everyone that comes your way. Become a temple for everyone that comes your way. Start your day going, God, everyone that I bump into, I pray that they would have the residue of heaven on them. I pray that they would go. What's different? What's different about Lillian Grothy in middle school? What's different about Lisa? What's different about the horns? What's different about the, what's there's just something different. Become a temple for all the people. God, you're a missionary. Uh, your financial planners and your school teachers and your, your bus drivers and your parents and whatever you, yeah, you do things. You are a missionary. You tell the story of Jesus wherever you go, selling cars, big deal, you're a missionary. Everywhere you step into, God has opened up a situation for you to go in and to be the temple that people bump into and it just changes them. And they start asking questions six months later. It won't look like much, it won't feel like much. Don't look now, the kingdom of God is coming and the will of God is being done on the earth as it is in heaven. The final thing I wanna say tonight is that it's God's promise to fill the temple with his presence. It's not our job. You just kind of, you just do the construction work that you can and you clean up the debris as best you can and then get out of the way because God is the one who said, it is not by power and it is not by might, but it is by my spirit says the Lord. This is Zechariah 4, 6, one of the most iconic texts in the Old Testament. At the end of rebuilding this temple and it doesn't look like much, God says, that's fine. It's not by your power and it's not by your might. It's by my spirit. It's God's promise to fill the temple with his glory. It's God's job to do the heavy lifting. We get these stories of people who come I hear it all the time. It just shocks me. But when I read Zechariah 4, 6, it shouldn't shock me. I'll see people who come into the lobby and they look like deer in headlights and they, they go, We've, this is big. We've never been here before. What is this place? And they said, we were driving by and, and we just knew we had to come in. I, we didn't plan to come here today. I promise you, we were driving by, we were at Interquest and Voyager and we turned left and we were like, what is that thing? We got to turn in here. We, we hear stories of people who walk into our lobby and they haven't been into church in five years or, or 25 years and they walk in and I, I, I hear this once a month. People say, I walked in your building, I started sobbing uncontrollably. I don't even know why. It's because it's not by might and it's not by power. It's not by marketing tricks. It's not by having the best greeters, though we do have the best greeters. It's not because of the candy and it's not because of the mints. It's not because of anything we've done to be tricky. It's because we've said, Lord, here's the temple that you've given us and here are the circumstances we find ourselves in and it doesn't feel like the, the glory is past, but here we are and we say, come Holy Spirit and have your way. And we give this place to you and people walk in this building, they start sobbing. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord will fill the temple with his glory. It's what he does. So would you stand with me tonight? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray the words that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. And we're gonna recommit to be the people that hallow the name everywhere we go. 
The disciples came to Jesus and they were shocked at his authority. They watched him and everywhere he went, people were healed and, and he fed the 5,000 and, and people were restored and brought back to life. Just everywhere Jesus went, there was something on him. In the inglorious circumstances he found himself in, the glory was there. And they said, Master, would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us how to pray? Where do you get your power from? Where, what's the magic? And Jesus says, I'll teach you how to pray. You wanna know how to find yourself caught up into the presence of the Lord? You wanna know how to, to build a little temple that God will fill? Here's how you pray. So would you join me in praying this together? And let's pray this by faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now stop. Hallowed be thy name. This is our lives. This is every day. Get up in the morning and pray this. Put the words of Jesus on your lips. And so what I want you to do is to think about where God has planted you, the life that you live, the routines that you have, the carpool line that you drive through, the work that you go to, the dormitory that you live in. I want you to close your eyes and think about the specifics of the life that you are living right now. The neighbors you have. The concerns that you have the really difficult circumstances you're living in, the things that you ask God to change and you say, Lord, how long, how long, how long? And I want you just right now in your soul and from your heart to begin to say, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name over that situation. Hallowed be thy name in that workplace. Hallowed be thy name in that school carpool line. Hallowed be thy name with those neighbors. Hallowed be thy name with that difficult boss. Hallowed be thy name with this physical situation that I'm in, with this sickness, with this diagnosis that I just got. Hallowed be thy name with the, maybe you have children, with the children God has given you. Would you just begin to rehallow the name in those spaces? Our Father, you're in heaven and you told us to live like this. And so we want to be the people who hallow the name. We want to be the people who build a little temple, the best little temple that we can muster and trust you to fill it up with your presence, not by power, not by might, but we say, Spirit of the Lord, come into these situations, come into these circumstances, come into these relationships, come into that dorm room, come into that school, come into that workplace, come Holy Spirit. Let's continue to pray these words that the Lord Jesus taught us, starting with thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you get your communion elements and be ready to receive them? We have just prayed, give us this day our daily bread. And here we are at the table of the Lord all over again. And Jesus says, I got you. <laughs> I've taken care of it. I'll give you tonight what you need. I'll give you this day your daily bread. You can sign back up because I'm here to sustain you. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he sat with his disciples at the table.
And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I'll enter into the destruction of your temple. (laughs) I'll enter into the debris of your, your crazy life. This is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Saints, Jesus is here to feed you tonight, to give you this day your daily bread you may receive. On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood. It's the promise. Covenant, it's the unbreakable promise from God toward us. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I've got you. This cup is the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. Tonight, as you receive from Jesus, you're clean. You're washed, you're forgiven, you're new. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And tonight we celebrate, Jesus says, as often as you do this, remember me. So you may receive the cup tonight. Let's lift our hands and let's sing to the Lord.
singing, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away, his perfect love could not be overcome. So get ready for that here in a second. But I want you to think about the thing that is inglorious about your life right now, the thing that feels like the the stone has been rolled in front of the tomb and you're just kind of trapped, you're stuck. And so I want us to sing this eschatologically. I want us to sing this about the future. That when Jesus returns, that's going to be like the stone finally being rolled away on all of creation that's broken down. And so I want you to bring that thing into the presence of the Lord, that thing that is your ache, that is your fear, that is the heartbreaking situation about your life. And I want you to begin to sing. The ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away. So let's sing that together by faith about the future. Come on. sent out of here to continue the rebuilding of the best little temple you can muster. You'd create a place for God to make space for God in the world that you would hallow the ground that he has given you. You don't have to hallow someone else's ground, just hallow the ground that he has given you. So Lord, I pray for us to be faithful, that we would be those who just keep doing the work, putting one foot in front of the other, saying yes again and yes again and yes again until that day we see you or you come to find us. Lord, let us be those that hallow the ground. And I pray that you would make us temples filled with the Holy Spirit, that everyone we encounter, that everyone we bump into, everyone we talk to, everyone we send an email to, everyone we make a call to, they would say there's something different. Lord, make us those people. The world is desperate for a church like this. So I pray, Lord, 
for my friends. You would bless them, and that you would keep them, that you'd make your face to shine upon them, and that you'd be gracious to them. Lord, smile big on my, on my friends, on your people, and would you grant them peace, I pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? I want to invite our prayer team to come down. We'd love to pray for any of you who have prayer needs. Much love to you. Come see us at Guest Central if you're new. It's right out in the lobby. But go from here tonight in God's grace and peace and put your sweats on this weekend.